Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the program. And uh, I think uh, that we are saying some things that are really incredibly important. And uh, I personally am really getting a lot out of this series by being able to not only study it, but to share it with you chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And that's, uh, that's something I don't get to do much of traveling. I don't pastor, but I travel somewhere every week and preach somewhere. We have multiple churches that we, uh, we uh, minister to, some we oversee, and others are just part of our relationship that we're sharing some of these things with. But it, it's just such a joy to be able to know that I've got enough time to unpack some things that you normally wouldn't get to in other settings. This is the second segment that we're going to do on the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. And let me say again, because I know we're probably pretty close to some real transition in our broadcasting. If you're watching us today through the Impact Television Network, uh, Impact is going to put on some family-friendly programming on their cable outlets. And as a result, they are preempting our program at 4 on Monday evening Eastern Standard Time, and they are going to run some family-friendly programming there. But we will remain on that time slot on the DISH Network and Direct TV outlets only. Just so if you don't have Direct, or if you, if you have Direct TV or you have DISH, there will be no change for you. But if you're watching this via cable and any of the cable outlets, I'm sorry, but we don't have any control over this. You are going to lose that feed. But here's the good news. If you've got internet, you can watch us on YouTube because everything we air, we put there so you can watch it on demand. I really encourage you anyway to go subscribe to my YouTube channel and, uh, you know, we will let you know every time we upload a new program. There's also there Uh, If you go to my website at lynnhiles.com, in the upper right-hand corner, there's direct links to it so that you don't have to search around looking because there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube that I've preached in other places, but our channel is linked to our website as well as our podcast, and there's an RSS feed for your Android so you can get the audio portions of this and be blessed by the teaching uh, that we are sharing. And we encourage you to do that. Our partners are making that available to you. And But I just wanted to let you know those changes are coming in uh, the month of February of 2023. That's when they will begin to shift our program to just the direct TV and the DISH Network outlets. So you're going to have to make those changes. All right, that being said, let's go back to Romans, the 13th chapter, and begin to read here. It said, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now that judgment he's talking about here is not the judgment of God, it's the judgment of those governing authorities. Now, I believe God backs up their authority, and we will show you some differences here. I think there's going to be some good stuff that I think are vitally important for me to share. So please stay tuned in. I think these are going to be some pivotal moments here as we start unpacking this. 
He said, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to, do, to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of, of, of the authority? Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have the praise of the same. For he is a minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. I want you to note, he gives civil authorities the power to use the sword, which is not necessarily physically, but at the same time, I believe he's telling them that governing authorities have the right to have police, they have the right to have armies, and the right to uh, do some things to protect us and to serve. But we're going to see that there are boundaries and where authority relays, because, see, there's a difference between power and authority, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. Even in the Word of God, there are two different Greek words. One is dunamis, power, and the other is exousia, power. One dunamis is the Greek word that we would translate into dynamic, miracle, dynamo, power of God, and the other exousia means you have the legal right or the authority to execute the dunamis. And so the authorities that when, God, when it says that the, that the authorities that are that are ordained of God, in other words, if they are functioning in God's exousia, the legal right to function within the sphere or the sphere of the influence that God has put them over, uh, then they have legitimate authority and power. But if they operate outside of the sphere or jurisdiction of which God has given them boundaries, then they're no longer a legitimate authority, and then they start to be they start to oppose God. Now, let me just talk about this a little bit more as we go down through there. It says, "Do you want do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you have the praise from the same. For he is a minister of God for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain." So I want to make it clear that God gives the right to civil authorities to wield the sword. We're going to see later that God gives to the church not the, uh, uh, the legal right to use the sword. The church is to use the keys of the kingdom. He gives the church the keys of the kingdom. He says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and you know the, the text there a little bit. And there's a whole lot more, I mean, just talking about the keys of the kingdom is probably a vast, vast subject. Because I don't believe that these two forms of authority and power need to be in conflict with one another. I think they need to work together in the sphere of the influence where God has given them uh, 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 you know, authority to function. And what the government needs more now than ever is the church that should have some keys of the kingdom that can help transform society and to be a force of good towards bringing about change and bringing the kingdom of God into manifestation in the earth. And I'm just, you know, as I start to talk about the keys of the kingdom, I just almost want to chase rabbits because I think we're so messed up with our escape mentalities that we're waiting to get out of here to go there to the kingdom. And we don't realize that when Jesus taught the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is like, and the kingdom of God is at hand, 
The kingdom of God is at hand don't mean some glad morning in the sweet by and by. It means it's within your grasp. And Jesus, John the Baptist, and all of them began to preach that the kingdom was at hand. And then Peter began to declare, and so we also see in the book of Romans, that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's located in the Holy Ghost. So the church is supposed to have the keys to help bring about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the church has been given jurisdiction to have keys of the kingdom. I believe God wants to raise up some godly men, some godly apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that instead of becoming critics of everything, and even critics of the government, that we start to come up with some innovative ideas that can help relieve the suffering of the human condition as the church begins to take its function in the earth, not to try to just get you from here to there, but to get what's happening there to operate here, even as it relates to how we communicate with each other on this horizontal plane. I need to calm down. I feel like preaching here. But on my last program that we shared, we talked about the vertical and horizontal. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. The gospel is both vertical and horizontal. In other words, vertical is my relationship with God. How I perceive God and how I... But most of us, especially in the New Covenant Grace message, we've got this part of it pretty well down pat. We know that the righteousness that I have is not based on my human ability or my effort, that it's a gift of God and I am who I am by the grace of God and God made me a new creature in Christ and that's what really matters and avails. And I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm on my way to glory. And that's wonderful as far as that goes. But the next part of that is, am I a kingdom consumer or am I also a kingdom distribution center? Because the vertical is already secure. My relationship with Him is secure. But out of that relationship with Him should come a horizontal manifestation that brings about behavior. You see, Christian behavior is important under the new covenant. Not because it gets you to heaven but because it gets heaven to operate in your life. I've made this statement for years. I've, all, I've often said many places, I don't just want to make heaven my home. I want to make my home like heaven. And so that's, he, 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 in other words, he, as we go down through here, he's going to talk about how we relate to one another. In the next chapter, he's going to talk about freedoms and how to handle freedoms and who not to offend. In other words, our behavior is important. Not so much because of what it does to God, but what it does to us and our humans and on this human expression, because we are here, I believe, to be a, a, a demonstration of what this invisible God looks like. We're the image of the unseen God. The image of God. Jesus didn't come just, he didn't say, I, I came, you know, so I can give you a ticket to heaven, you get to go there. But he said, Whom he did for, no, he did also predestinate, not to go to heaven or hell. He predestinated them to be conformed to the image of the Son. What was the Son look like? You know, I've enjoyed uh, watching this series called The Chosen so far. And man, some of the things that I see, you know, them representing with Jesus just so move me. Even how He interacts with authorities and how He interacts with Rome, even how He understands the authority that Caiaphas would have and the high priest would have. You see that with Paul, 
when they slap Paul's face and he says something negative to the high priest, and then he apologizes, says, well, I wish not that you were God's high priest. In other words, he started saying, you know what? I understand some things about how proper authority works. And so what he's trying to show you here is that there are perimeters between civil government and between the church. So he's telling you right here that civil governments are ministers of God for righteousness to evildoers. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the police. Now, I know there's some corruption in all of that, and God can root that out because that becomes, once again, illegitimate authority. But when they're operating within the sphere of their God-ordained authorities, God backs them up. When they're not, He doesn't back them up. In other words, there are moments when you have to say, we must obey God rather than men, but that's usually when government oversteps its sphere of boundaries and starts interfering with what goes on in the church. They start When the government starts becoming the keys instead of the sword, or the church, uh, instead of being the keys, they become the sword. And, uh, you know, it just gets to be, and I'll talk about atrocities that have happened down through human history when we cross those boundaries and we move out of the sphere of influence where we have our exousia, is the word for power there, the legal right and authority to function within that scope. So he's telling them that, 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 that even on this horizontal plane, that there, are a, there is a need for governing laws. As a matter of fact, even Paul says in another place that the law is for the sinner and the ungodly. And that it does, it is, you know, in other words, uh, you know, that, that there has to be laws that govern a society, especially where there are unregenerate men functioning. In other words, without any kind of law, people could steal, loot, lie, you know, cheat. I think all of those things we are supposed to have a form of government that is to enforce those legalities. On the other hand, the church should be uh, the administration that has keys that begins to bring people into relationship with God where they are transformed. And he goes on to say that we need to be subject to these powers, not only because of wrath. In other words, be subject to them, not because you're simply afraid you're going to be locked up and put to jail. The next part of that verse says, but also for conscience sake. In other words, you do it because you simply know it's the right thing to do. In other words, there are, you know, Romans, the second chapter, we talked about it back some time ago, where in Romans chapter 2 it says, For the Gentiles, which do not have the law, do by nature the things that are written in the law, then they become a law to themselves. Now, let me just say to you, he's talking about the law of conscience there. Now, the, the conclusion of that, of course, 1, 2, and 3, is that you're not justified by God on the basis of, uh, in other words, just because your conscience it, it, uh, you know, bothers you doesn't mean you can't still be justified with God. Let me, let me see if I, I can figure out a way to say that clearer. Uh, the, the, t- the Scripture does tell us that if your conscience uh, uh, betrays you, God is greater than your conscience. But in other words, he's saying, uh, here's how I'll say it, he's saying to them simply, you can do some things because your conscience deals with you to do it, but don't mistake behaving because your conscience does that with your justification and right. In other words, you can't earn your righteousness just because you did the right thing according to your conscience. Your, your conscience can convict and make you think, I need to change something, 
But what I'm simply saying is that no, no matter which side of the shore, whether you're under the law uh, of Moses or the law of your conscience, you're not justified by the works of the flesh. So your justification is not based on, did you do everything right? That's based on something He did for you. But the outworking of that justification is that you start to do some things that are right. But then in the bottom line is that it's not that conscience is wrong, is that conscience should be there to keep you understanding, hey, I'm obeying the law not because I'm afraid I'm going to get caught and put in prison. I'm not stealing from my neighbor or doing something wrong because it's the right thing to do. I've said this all over the world. I don't commit adultery on my wife, not because the Bible says not to. That's a law, and I'm certain it would bother your conscience. But I don't cheat on my wife and commit adultery because I'm in love with my wife. That's a higher order. In other words, yes, behavior is important, and I say yeah, let it constrain you, but also realize that your justification and your righteousness with God is not based on that. There's a lot of people in jail who God still loves. <laughs> There's a lot of people who messed up their lives big time, and He's still their Savior. There's a lot of people who, you know, have gotten in a lot of trouble, and you know what? God doesn't abandon you. He comes back on the scene to begin to work in your life and to deliver you, but then there are repercussions to your actions that are supposed to be deterrence to things that, that, that could hurt other people as well. So he's saying, don't be subject just for wrath, but for your conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor is due. So he's simply telling them there's a place for everything in your life. So, you know, I mean, you know, what happens is, is now, you know, I realize that we can get any of this out of balance. And I think probably, you know, at times we're overtaxed, way overtaxed, especially from our civil government with wasteful spending and, and irresponsibilities and, and government and oversight and some of that stuff like that. But I'm thankful that the government is there to build roads, to make sure the weights and balances are right to govern and, 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 and supply things that need to be supplied in our communities and the stuff that goes on because we pay our taxes. I'm thankful that I've been able to pay into Social Security tax and at some point. I'm thankful that that also helps to take care of seniors and so forth as we move forward in, in some of that stuff. But also he gets down here not just for silver stuff, but he talks about fear to whom fear is due and honor to whom honor is due. We've quoted the honor part, a lot of it, and I really think that's a missing link sometimes in church and in the government and among people. It would seem like a generation has lost respect for their seniors, or we've lost respect for people in power or authority. Even though we don't agree with them, we still need to give honor where honor is due. I, I, you know, I, I think even even if, if you don't like a certain setting president, I think there has to be a certain dimension of honor that you give to that office. Maybe not to the ungodly things that either side of them may do, but I think there needs to be more honor and respect. I think sometimes we treat parents without any respect. I think, you know, my mother-in-law is 90 years old. She'll be 91 in April. Uh, her husband was a mentor to me and really taught me the road. 
My dad was also a mentor to me and, and raised us in the things of God, but I traveled with my father-in-law for a couple of years before I went into full-time traveling ministry. My father-in-law passed away about 17 years ago, and she's lived beyond uh, that to, into her 90s. And uh, so we, you know, she really, you know, uh, basically draws Social Security, and that's all she really has coming in as an income. She came to my house one day and she was like, you know, bothered about a car breaking and she was, you know, always did help her anyway. And she was just, you know, worried. I said, Mom, listen to me. As long as I'm around, you have nothing to worry about. Because as long as I'm able to, I'm going to help you take care of whatever you have because that's part of me honoring my father and my wife's mother and my spiritual fathers as well. Honor to whom honor is due. Listen a minute does not mean necessarily you shake their hand twice and say, God bless you, I love you. Honor has to do with even finances. That's why where we get the term honorarium. And when Paul says that those that labor in word and in doctrine are worthy of double honor, that doesn't mean you shake their hands twice. That means there should be some guidelines even to how we compensate our pastor's and ministers and give to them, not grudgingly, but because it's an honor. So I have continued even to financially help my mother-in-law. I believe, I truly believe, I need to say this right now, but I truly believe if people would give honor where honor is due and give back to the men and women of God who poured into your life, we wouldn't have to worry about pastors serving their whole life for almost nothing and then retiring and not being able to hardly afford to eat or wear clothes. That's sad to me because somewhere there needs to be some honor that's given back to them. And especially even if the Scripture talks about honoring your father and your mother so that your days will be long upon the land's first commandment without promise or with promise. And I'm not saying you do that again to be justified before God. I'm saying you do that because that's, you know, the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. Well, what's the lawful way to use it? It's lawful to understand that without this, Paul said in Romans 7, we wouldn't have known the difference between what was good, what was evil, what was right, what was wrong. But the problem Paul said was when you start to take the law to be justified by the works of the law, then you fall into condemnation and you're never good enough. But what he simply said, here's some guidelines, man. You need to be able to be honor your father and your mother and be able to, you know, give support where support is due. And you know, I'm convinced that the Lord has blessed me because I've done that. And I've been able to, and that's still my joy. I just finished taking her to eat just a little while ago, and we feed her almost every day. And, and her and I watch Little House on the Prairie a good bit on the, in the evenings because we spend some time with them. I think it's an honor. Listen, not just, I'm talking about practical stuff that's an outworking of the kingdom. Stop by and visit your elderly parents. Offer them a hand. Help them out with stuff they can't do anymore. Uh, you know, uh, uh, go by and visit some person who's a shut-in, who's lonely, who needs somebody to simply sit on the porch with them for an hour or so and drink a cup of coffee, or pick up the phone and call them and, and encourage them. Or when you find out they need their steps fixed and you got a hammer with you, you can fix the steps or you can, you know, do a, I'm talking about honor. That's to me practical outlets of how to give honor where honor is due. And he's talking about, again, what is the operation of how this thing looks on a horizontal plane is that we're, you know, no, let's say it like this, the government and the civil law should never have to force you to take care of your parents or to take care of people who poured into your life. 
you know, I, I, there's a big fight a lot among, you know, even among grace guys. Should we tithe? Should we not tithe? Is there a principle of sowing and reaping? Yada, yada. And we get in all these fights about it. I just recently said in one of the largest venues I preach in, I said, listen, here's the bottom line. What you don't support goes away. I don't care if you call it tithing, sowing and reaping, whatever. Whatever you don't support goes away. I, that works for even our TV program. If you don't support it, it goes away. So far, God's people have supported it, and we're thankful for that. But what I'm simply saying is that there are, there are things here that He's saying to them, render them, then what's due? Your taxes are due, your customs, and to whom custom, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. And I, you know, I have found that if you will honor people, and, and you will give honor, here's another principle. What you sow, you're probably going to reap. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. That doesn't just mean your money. That means you may be one day old yourself sitting on a porch thinking, I wish somebody come by and visit me. Or I wish that, you know, I could get some help doing this. In other words, you, you, you start to realize that if you don't have any seed in the ground, after a while, nobody cares about you either. See, we no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. And I really think it's something that I, I want to challenge my audience with today, that we don't, as the generations come and go, that we don't stop honoring. We don't stop honoring our pastors. Now, I'm not talking about backbiting and stabbing them in the back behind their backs, but I'm talking about giving honor where honor is due. Even when you think they're wrong, it's like, again, when Paul stood before Caiaphas, or he stood before the high priest, and the high priest, which I believe the high priest abused his authority. But nevertheless, Paul did not retaliate and come out. He simply said, I wish not that it was the Lord's high priest. And so he realized the office has been ordained by God. And if that man abuses that office, then it's up to God to correct him. Because how these systems work is, there's a default setting. If you don't govern yourself, and your family don't govern you, and then the local church don't govern you, the first thing you know, the, the, the civil government has to lock you up, or has to govern you. Each one of these are default systems in case the other one starts to fail. They are fail-safe systems, and we're going to talk about that more as we get ready to go into the next segment. But I really wanted to challenge you with that uh, today. We're going to get into a little bit more specifics about the separation of powers and some of that, but I trust you've been blessed by this. Let me say again, and I didn't say all that to get you to give, but truly we do need your help in uh, broadcasting like this on such a large platform. So if you would like to help us or you feel like, well, I, I, I was challenged by this, I think I want to sow into it, simply go to our website right there at lenhouse.com or scan the QR code on your smart device. It'll take you right directly to a place where you can give. There is a PayPal portal there where you can give your, uh, via credit card or debit card, and you can even set up a monthly uh, debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner, or you just want to give a one-time gift. But you can also send a check or money order to the address that'll come on the screen. It's tax deductible. Or you can call the number that'll come up on the screen, and someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, we have a limited amount of staff, so leave a message, and we will return your call. But we do need your help to do this, and we thank you for joining us. God bless you. Until next week. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.